Okay, welcome back. Uh, today I'm talking with David Wetton, um, who's based in Birmingham in the UK. David's one of our members. Uh, he's got a first class degree um, in economics from Bristol University. Um, my daughter's just finished her bachelor's in economics at Manchester and I know from vicarious experience and a lot of heartache um, it's not an easy degree. Uh, he's got an MBA from Warwick Business School and a research master's from Durham Business School which are all Russell Group top universities in the UK. David's also an ordained interfaith minister and his research and work centres around conscious and spiritual leadership. Anyway welcome David. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you have you along. Um, so can you just start by um, giving us a little bit more about your background, who you are, what you do, and tell me a little bit about the research that you engaged in? I will do. I'll, I'll give you a very short, brief kind of potted history. And that was, as you said, you know, university did, did my degree in economics, went and then trained to be a chartered accountant because everyone said chartered accountant <laughs> gives you great options. So I'm a, a trained chartered accountant here in, in the UK. And then I had a sense, David, that actually I loved when I was a chartered accountant. I always loved going out and exploring the wider aspects of the company, the strategy, what they were doing, what they were about, what was happening. So in, it would have been round about, you mentioned, I went, to, I think it was round about in, in the late 80s, it was late 80s, I went and did an MBA then at Warwick Business School. Mm. And I realised two things. One, I realised how much the current business world uh, relies on finance because a lot of people have gone to do an MBA to get their finance knowledge up and running but my approach and it gives you a sense of my research approach was that I didn't take the easy way through the MBA what I mean by that is I didn't just go well I'll take the finance options because I'm an accountant I can do those I purposely chose disciplines that I didn't know, know anything about or so I did you know HR I did services management um, operations management um, these, these sort of things, and absolutely loved it, and saw then how all the pieces fitted together. So coming out of that, I then became a, a strategy consultant out in some big companies actually here in the UK, so including, um, I think, NatWest, uh, Prudential Building Society with Egg, Volvo, Truck and Bus, a number of things, and just realising that actually what, what, they, what I was, was people said, David, you're like a... a uh, and a, an insider from the outside and that you feel like one of us but you bring this objective sense and this compassion which really helps us move forward and I loved doing that so I was very happy really kind of in that sort of strategy role after my MBA um, and then what happened to me actually was I went up on a retreat to if you know the place in Holy Island Lindisfarne northeast oh, yeah. England and got deeply touched by the beautiful nature of the place and the sense of the really grounded reality. I talk about, you know, evidence-based research and being grounded, the grounded reality of the Celtic saints of the, uh, particularly the seventh century, St. Aidan, St. Hill, St. Cuthbert. And it really sent me off in, in I just felt there was something about these, this people, and I was of a Christian faith, that, that really moved me and touched me. So it sent me off on a journey. And it's a couple of years later, and I looked it up actually for this podcast. I went to, some of listeners will be familiar with the Academy of Management, mm -hmm. which tends to meet in the States. And I went out for the first time in 2008 to the Academy of Management in the States, because I was really interested in what does this spiritual thing mean in respect of business? And I honestly, with you, David, I thought, am I going crazy here? I'm trying to combine spirituality mm -hmm. with business. Do the two never meet? 
And when I went out there, I met someone out there who sadly has recently passed on. But it was someone called Professor Andre Dalbeck. And he was a professor at Santa Clara University in California in their business school. Such a gracious man. And I managed to get some time to speak with him. And he sat me down and he was the first one that said, David, you're not going mad. And he drew a triangle for me. And on one corner of the triangle, he put um, evidence-based research. And he said to be re relevant and relevant is really important, David. And then on the other side, he said, it's about practice as well. He said, if we don't put this evidence into practice, it makes a difference with practical business results. As far as I'm concerned, it's not worth doing. And I absolutely agree with him on that. And then on the third part, he then put spirit, spirituality and spiritual. And he said, actually, when you bring that in, into the equation as well, he said, you have a firm platform on which to venture out in the business world. And he explained what he was doing from a university perspective, being a consultant and taking the spirituality into the workplace. So really from there, I had a sense then of feeling, actually, this is a, is a grounded sense. And that's then when I went to Durham University Business School and did my master's in business research on exploring the role of spirituality in the workplace. And as you mentioned, <laughs> around about the same time, 2011, I got ordained here in the UK as an interfaith minister. And the reason I did that is I felt if I'm going into business and I'm talking about spirituality, I don't want people to think, well, you're pushing just one strand of it, Christianity or whatever, because an interfaith minister is here for people of all faiths and those of none. So that's the kind of grounding that, that, I, that I kind of took in. And it does, it's perhaps sounding less bizarre these days after all of the COVID regulations, but <laughs> mm. it just really kind of seems to, to work and people connect with it. And the sense of actually I'm helping people make, make um, there's a lot of talk in this area about meaning and purpose. And there's so much mm. now, isn't it, in the world around meaning and purpose that, and I believe everyone has a, um, you know, a spirituality, and we'll probably come on to that later as to what's the definition of that, because that in itself from an academic perspective, research perspective, is so interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Um, I, I was talking to somebody else last week, actually, about um, purpose-driven or purpose-led mm. leadership. Mm. Um, and we'll come on to this in, in, in a second. Um, so we've got kind of two things going on here. We, we've got the, the idea of conscious leadership. Um, you've kind of mentioned this more consciousness i suppose and spiritual leadership Can we just start with the conscious leadership yes. um what do you mean by that thank you that's that's a that's a good question um and on my journey actually david <laughs> you know my journey is full of bizarre meetings and but wonderful meetings actually um as part of my journey on my spirituality i i found myself doing my research actually for my uh, masters at Durham University Business School, I went out to the Bay Area in San Francisco. And I had the pleasure of meeting, there's a guy out there called John Rennish, who's a futurist. He's somewhere in between a sort of academic and a, and a practical consultant as well. But he takes his research really seriously. And I met him and actually he was the person who actually coined the term conscious leadership. So actually <laughs> like out of the horse's mouth, and yeah. um, what he said to me, because I've got, I've also got, you know, the podcast Conscious Leadership now, when he came on that, he actually said, well, David, when I coined that back in the 1980s, it was really what I meant by conscious leadership was to communicate the quality being now called for, for people who are leaders in organizations and society 
for determining a positive future for our children and grandchildren to inherit. And he said, I call it conscious because he, believe our, he believes our circumstances call for a higher state of consciousness. So a sense of actually what's needed for the whole of humanity, not just for me or this organization, how can I actually make a difference for the greater good of all? And the second thing he said, which actually is a theme that runs through this, he says, David said, when I define conscious leadership, I don't define this as an absolute term because he said, I believe there are a number of people have their own definitions of what that might mean. And he said, I think that's important that people do that. I'm giving you my view as to what it is. So there isn't really a, um, a defined view of conscious leadership out there. Um, mm. And maybe that might be a good, a, a good way to actually link it into when I was with the Academy of Management, going back to, you know, really evidence based, a big group of um, uh, you know, academics and practitioners that are out there you know, from around the world. And what I quickly discovered is, again, there's no agreed definition of spirituality in that group, which actually was giving them some real issues because from an academic perspective, obviously things like to be defined and agreed upon and built upon. But because there was no one single uh, agreed definition, they said, actually, this can be a concern for this particular chapter, as they call it, because in academy management, they have the management, spirituality and religion chapter, which interestingly enough has more members than the chapter of operations management, which I found incredible. Oh. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know it that. Does, yeah. oh, so, that's in, that is interesting. It is interesting. So I can to help, if you like, listeners, I can give you what, when I did my research, my definition I lent on for what does spiritual mean was one from uh, someone I know, actually, Georgianne Lamont, in a book she wrote in 2002. She said, spirituality is not religion. It's not about beliefs, creeds, or dogmas. It's about being fully alive, relationships, and what gives meaning and purpose to life. And I find, if I look mm. at conscious leadership in my podcast, when I, I ask people, what does conscious leadership mean to you? Those kind of themes tend to come through. So it's about relationships, emotional intelligence. It's about meaning and purpose. It's about actually being fully alive. So actually me actually making a difference in the world. What really ignites and excites me. Um, and finally, I think coming back, I think it's just fascinating. You can tell I, I really love this area because I think it is really so important. After Andre Delbach died in 2016, in 2017, there was a group of academics and practitioners that met to actually discuss what does it mean to be a spiritually and developmentally mature leader? Because Andre Delbach nice question. left this, beautiful, isn't it? He left this mm. heuristic as a challenge, he'd said, mm -hmm. what does it mean to be spiritually and developmentally mature leader? So they met, and there is a book that's, that, that's uh, come out of this retreat that I had, which I've got, which is fascinating. But they came up with key, three key elements. So these academics said, actually, the first one is that this spiritually and developmentally mature leader has an awareness of themselves and of others. So for this self and others, I kind of see this time back to the work of emotional intelligence and Daniel Goleman. The second one, not surprisingly, is that they have a sense of meaning and purpose, mm -hmm. which, um, and they said also they're bringing values, a sense of love and making compassion, making a difference. And again, finally, which is what I said before, they're committed to the greater good. So there's an aspect of them, they transcend their ego, they're here for the greater good. They're not this 
autocratic leader or this um, even a charismatic leader that's, that's after you know the good for them and the organization mm. they're committed to the greater good yeah and i think this is important and i think it's um i think it's an important exploration for all leaders mm. um is this the, the idea of purpose and meaning um beyond their immediate goals for the business or their own immediate goals is you know what's the biggest bigger picture here what what is it that i want globally on a, a larger scale for other people for society and how does my peace fit into that um and quite often certainly in kind of leadership development circles um I tend to see a lot of the discussions around purpose having a, a smaller meaning for individual purpose or the purpose of the organization, the aim and the goals of just the organization in a, a kind of a profit or a, a growth um, kind of way, as opposed to how do we fit into society, a, a global society? Yes. Uh, how do we fit into what's happening here and what i'd actually like this planet to be like and how are we helping that now that's takes you on to a completely different journey as a leader and takes you on to a completely different track of thinking about what you're doing your business your actions the activities and the activities of your people as well and I think, David, this is where I get excited <laughs> from, you know, this mm. perspective, Oxford Review and, and whatever, because I don't know if you come across him. I interviewed for my podcast, Professor Alex Edmonds, who, and I'm guessing here, is, he's a young professor and he's at London Business School and he's professor okay. of finance at London Business School. He's got a PhD from MIT, Fulbright Scholar. Now, he's written a book about uh, growing the pie, how great companies deliver both profit and purpose and is on the steering committee of the purposeful company task force which was established in 2015 with support of bank of england to transform british business with purpose-led companies to create long-term value through serving the needs of society so when i spoke with him i've got this real sense that there's a there's a, there's a thread going through you know british society and world society where people are grounding this sort of thing and they're asking deep questions because sometimes, and I should use the word, people go, oh, it's spiritual, it's conscious leadership. Oh, that's a bit fluffy. But what I want to be clear here is actually there are people that are really going deep in the research and are saying actually leading in this sort of way really does make a difference. Mm. It, makes a big, it makes a big difference inside. And I it think... Does. Well-being, you... isn't it? You know, the sense of... That's, that's, that, that, you know, when I said my, my definition around feeling fully mm. alive... How wonderful that is to be and i've always said actually spend people spend so much time at work or they could say they're spending time at home in covid but what i mean is that they devote a lot of time to their work so if you're mm. connected to a purpose-led business that is making a difference for the the greater good of all the community whatever that is whatever your passion is i just think that is just wonderful as opposed to just turning up at work doing your job and waiting for friday to arrive Yes, definitely. Um, and, and just going for, and, and not just short term goals as in time, mm. but short goals as in terms of just a small niche of, you know, I'm just engaged in these things. Yeah. And one of the big realizations that I had certainly about 
what I'm doing in terms of the Oxford Review was, and it felt like a, a non-religious spiritual moment of the realization about evidence-based practice, about getting proper research evidence to practitioners so that they're making decisions based on something that's not just opinion. But it wasn't that, it was that wider sense of what's happening at the moment in terms of politics and things to do with fake news, this feeling that kind of politicians and people can just say whatever they want, mm -hmm. that all opinions are equally valued, valid, um, when actually, you know, if there's no evidence for them, then they, you know, mm -hmm. evidence can be challenged or a lack of evidence can be challenged. But fitting into a bigger ecosystem then becomes a, a feeling and, and that's how I would describe it, a, a sense of something deep inside yes. that connects you to the rest of what's going on. And that there's, there really is a deeper purpose in Absolutely. what's going on. Absolutely, yes. And this sense, purpose and meaning, what I wanted to clarify, because I'm having a conversation this week, actually, one of the questions I often get asked is, <laughs> I got asked the question, how can you be professional and take spirituality into the workplace? And quite often when you dig underneath that, what they really mean is, is people get confused and actually equate mm. spirituality with religion. Yep. So for me, there is a difference from an academic research perspective that actually you have spirituality. And my own stance is, my own view is that everybody has a spirituality, that which mm. brings meaning and purpose, that's what brings you alive. You know, I've coached an atheist who says, I love being out in nature. And he said, that's my spirituality. Then for me, you have, to have spirituality, then you have faith. So if you've got a faith, it's a faith in something bigger. You know, that might be in the divine universe or whatever. It could be in COVID seven habits. You've got real faith or something your grandma said. And then on top of that, you've then got religion. So religion brings together threads to say, this is what we believe in. Our faith mm. is based on this. Do you agree with these creeds and dogmas enough so you can join us? So that's why I think there's a big gap between religion and spirituality. So when I'm speaking, actually, it's, it's really interesting, David, because whenever I go and speak somewhere, quite often the hackles are up. People are expecting a talk about religion. When I get talking, quite often people will catch me afterwards and say, I love what you said. I thought you were going to come and convert us to whatever faith. But when you spoke, it really resonated with me. Thank you. Yes, I think it is important to that they're connected religion and spirituality are connected but they're not the same thing and, and, and here's the paradox almost a paradox here that actually once you work around those definitions you begin to understand that actually also religion does have its place it's not inverted commas bad mm. sometimes people hold tightly onto their beliefs so it can be it can be perceived as received by the other as oh, i feel uncomfortable here but for me there's a lesson for me in there as a researcher because sometimes i can hold on to my research beliefs perhaps too deeply mm. you know oh, yeah. we know that don't we so it's so it helps me <laughs> yes. if that makes sense yes i see that a lot <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely and and you, you you dropped in another word into this um mm -hmm. quite cannily i think um that the whole idea of sense making and our sense making changes 
from when we're looking at things on a micro scale to things on a macro scale. So if we're thinking about our place in the world, in society, whether we're doing good and things, our sense making is very different than and our decision making from that sense making is very different from um, just looking at a micro scale of how much money can I make or, you know, how can I whatever it happens to be, how can I grow this business to 10x or whatever it is, when we actually extrapolate, extrapolate out into a bigger context, both the sense making and the decisions start to change as well. And I think that's, that's an important part of this. I was, I was going to say, actually, and again, for those listening, I would encourage them to have a look at this piece of research and just to dig it out. When we talk about spirituality, one thread that we hear in society is quite often around mindfulness. And you're probably aware there is a mindfulness all-party parliamentary group in the UK, which was set up in 2014. Now, the really interesting thing is there's something called the Mindfulness Initiative, which actually also has a base, as you know, probably in Oxford. But they've recently released a report uh, last year in 2020, which is called Mindfulness Developing Agency in Urgent Times. Now, I'd urge people to have a look at that because the three areas they look at in respect of mindfulness is one, perceiving... And they define that as gathering and processing information. The second one, they then say understanding, making sense and making decisions on what's important. So when I looked at those, and there's a third element, I thought, my goodness, those first two for me are Oxford Review. That's what you got with. Then the third one, here's the interesting thing. The third one is then doing. So how do we then use that information to live together in the world, collaborating for, for the greater good? And I just thought, wow. That is just really wonderful. And it felt really solid. It felt exciting. It had a sense of, we can really, you know, we can develop agency in this, in these urgent times through these sort of things. And that's why I wrote it down for today. Cause I thought, Oxford Review, mm. that's what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and uh, just a note here, we'll put links to all of the things that um, David's talking about in the show notes. Um, and, and certainly with that report, we'll put it in the members area anyway. Brilliant. Um, okay, so I just so in the research for this mm-hmm. this podcast that I was doing, um, and I kind of mentioned to you at the beginning, I, I started to have a look at the research numbers for, and so I've separated out conscious and spiritual leadership. Start to have a look at the research numbers, which I, I found fascinating. Actually, I hadn't actually done it before for for, for these terms. I do it quite a lot for other terms because I like to get a an idea kind of an overview of what's going on within the research area so last year in we're talking about conscious leadership now there were just over 200 published papers in conscious leadership that had conscious leadership as part of the study or that was the main topic of the study and overall there are only about 2500 studies in total and that's out of about four and a half million studies about leadership generally. Now, the, the largest tranche of that is taken up with things like um, trans, uh, uh, transformational leadership, um, uh, servant leadership and things like that. So from a research point of view, this really isn't mainstream. And the most cited source um, was uh, the book, Um, Beyond Change Management, How to Achieve Breakthrough Results Through Conscious Change Leadership by Anderson and Anderson. And the most cited paper is Barrett Brown's 
paper. But what's interesting is it's a master's dissertation, which I really wasn't expecting because usually it's a peer reviewed paper, although they are peer reviewed in a way, I suppose, but it's a master's dissertation um, that's titled Conscious Leadership for Sustainability, how leaders uh, with a late stage action logic design and engage in sustainability initiatives. Now, I really wasn't expecting that. So I suppose the question to you is, what, what, why do you think that this is such a small research area? Because I, I was quite surprised. Yes, that's true. And, and it's, uh, I'm stepping back, the, the question I guess I've been reflecting on myself is, as I said, with, with my uh, research masters at Durham University Business School, that was actually on spiritual leadership. So mm. I thought it was a lot of okay. spirituality in the workplace, mm. but my where I drew it from was actually for the work of um, Professor, um, well, Louis' name is Jody, Professor Jody Fry, who's Texas A&M yeah. University, and he spent probably about 20 years on researching spiritual leadership. Mm. So that, for me, is, is my go-to, if you like, um, evidence base. Um, and he's written, we'll put it in, he's written a book, he's written what's called a pra-academic book, so ideal for those and lots of review with Melissa mm -hmm. Nierskesk, who's actually, she's a management consultant. But that's called Maximizing the Triple Bottom Line Through Spiritual Leadership. And it's a fabulous okay. read, a fabulous read. Um, so why did I choose this, this conscious leadership? And I think I chose it because my sense is for me working out, working with, you know, coaching execs, working with executive teams, it was, I just have a feeling that actually that, that I'm, I'm being a bridge for this higher form of leadership. I chose to call it conscious leadership because people tend to relate to that. But within that, almost on that sort of level, if that makes sense, those you've mentioned, so thank you for that. So whether it's spiritual leadership, servant leadership, transformational leadership, sometimes it's authentic leadership. Mm -hmm. um, Jody Fry has written a paper around this, which, which those might be interested because there's a certain... Um, almost we move to i don't want to come from the ego not a higher level of leadership but he calls it he's written a paper called um let's have a look that well there's a, it's called the uh, let's have a look towards a theory of being centered leadership multiple levels of being as a contest yeah. context for for effective leadership and that was published in human relations journal and that's a real lead that gives you an insight as to where I'm coming from, because he looks at actually five levels of leadership. Mm. So for me, way I interpret conscious leadership, it's, it's around that spiritual leadership, servant leadership, transformational leadership area. And because people are doing different things, writing different things, acting in a way, it's almost like, David, I don't know if this makes sense. It's almost like you get a sense that they <laughs> use an old analogy that we're singing off the same hymn sheet here. So if yeah. someone says, oh, I believe in servant leadership, I'm not going to try and say actually it should be spiritual leadership or conscious leadership. It's like I get servant leadership and it's brilliant. How can I support you? Hmm. Okay. So if I'm working with execs, I'm not going to come in and say, actually, I'm going to tell you, it has to now be in this organization. Conscious leadership It's like servant leadership. Brilliant. Let's get it moving on. And I'm doing some work with, um, there's, uh, there's something called the trusted executive with John Blakey. Hmm. And he's recently done, he's, he's a world leading coach, but he's done a PhD out of Aston Business School. And he started the Trusted Executive Foundation. So he's mm. done a whole model called the Trusted Executive with mm. three pillars of trust and nine habits. And I love that because that's evidence-based in what does trust mean? 
what the elements of trust for an exec. What a fabulous model. And he's taking that out through Trusted Exec Foundation out into organizations. So it's these sort of things I'm passionate about because as we've just been talking, he grounds it. He has a sense mm. of faith. He has those three pillars I've been speaking about. And the companies I've spoken to who are working with him are like, we really love this. So if I turn it on its head, people, once it's grounded and you've got a sense and people can move with it, and they're like, actually, this just makes, again, that sense so much sense. We love it. But it's finding, it's finding the definition, the, the, the particular um, almost flavor that resonates with you. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. Some might say actually servant leadership is good. And there's issues around servant leadership to say, actually, how do we really, how do we activate this? Because, you know, servant leadership is on 10 mm. kind of comp competencies. But people such as, you know, some academics have done, Sipe and Frick have written a book, Seven Pillars of Servant Leadership. So they actually yes. activate servant leadership through these seven pillars. And I love that book. So whether it's spiritual, that there are ways of doing it. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Mm. So sometimes people get hung up on it has to be this one. I'm like, no, yeah, we're all no. working towards meaning and purpose, greater good. Mm. There's a number of different models out there. Let's get excited about it. People are researching it. Let's work with it. Let's see what happens when we use it. So if I've got this right, mm -hmm. what you're referring to here by conscious leadership i just want to go back to that at the moment yeah. we'll come to spiritual yeah. leadership in a second is that it's it's thoughtful that it's purposeful that it's mindful and that um the leader and the people engaged with the leader are committed and engaged in this purpose whatever it happens to be yeah. that's what you're saying um conscious leadership is well, i would actually is the more for this one i would actually just link back to that, that definition i gave around spiritually and developmentally mature leadership so you know awareness of self and others mm. which for me that awareness of self and others if, if i put it into real practical business terms awareness of self and others really means are we living the values we have in this organization or not the thing about a sense of meaning and purpose means that actually in that organization there's a vision there's a mission that really milks about making a difference. Then the third one is actually we're committed to the gate with the greater good. We have we have a greater, you know, we have a mission here that we actually really want to make a difference to the world. And so that that for me then brings together these these elements where people people are saying, actually, we've got a vision mission that makes sense, our values are aligned and we actually live them. And then at the heart of it, there's something that's really driving us because we really do want to make a difference in the world. We're not just churning out something to make money. You know, mm. I won't name any products, but you know what I mean? We're actually doing something <laughs> which our service or product is making a difference to our community, to the world. And we're proud to be part of it. I think that's Absolutely. the work of Professor Jody is actually showing, you know, that's why I got drawn into this because he's saying, you know, the, the, the outcome of his result, his research was that when you get these elements right and he's, he's shown it in his research, it increases personal commitment of employees. It increases personal productivity. It increases their well-being, mm. and it increases the profitability of an organisation. So for me, it was a bit of a gimme, a bit of a. This is really important to look at when you've got Definitely. increased profitability, well-being, mm. something. Who wouldn't want to have a look at this? And and certainly the connection that you were mentioning before to trust is critical it comes mm. out time and time again in the research that we turn into research briefings it's probably one of the top terms that comes through to do with leadership and management is in terms of 
a trust being an enabler for organizations, for organizational development, for what they're doing, the goals, but also for people working with some form of purpose within the organizations who want to be there, who are engaged within the organization, who are demonstrating what we call organization citizenship behaviors. So they're going above and beyond for the organization. They're helping other people. There's this feeling of altruism, which is actually one of the five areas of spiritual leadership. Um, and they are um, kind of hope and faith, um, uh, vision, uh, altruism and love, membership uh, and calling, this sense of calling. That can be on a religious basis, but it doesn't have to be on a religious basis. It can be on Absolutely, any other kind yes, of level of basis as well. And, and I, I, th I think that certainly trust is another critical element here. Mm. And as I say, it comes out in so many, there's a number of, certainly this year, I've been kind of keeping a, a kind of a score tabulation of the kinds of concepts that have come up in different types mm. of paper. Um, and there's two things that have, have keep on cropping up and are becoming more and more common in the research. The first one's trust. Um, and, and I think that's, an indication of the level of importance of trust within organizations but but it is anyway in relationships you know i can't say it anymore you know any relationship you know is founded on a level of trust and where we go with that level of trust deepens the relationship or makes it less deep um the other thing that keeps coming up is a learning orientation and I'm seeing that more and more and more, which is also connected to trust. Um, we know that trust and learning, but also things like um, purpose and vision are important in all of that. Um, what I'd be interested in, in, in just exploring for a couple of minutes is those five things, hope, vision, um, altruism, love, membership, calling, just from your perspective, how they're kind of interconnected and why they matter for organizations and leaders yes well, well first of all for those who want to, to 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 see more on that um jody fry is the founder of the international institute for spiritual leadership so if people look at that they will find the um the the spiritual leadership model which which he goes through those those elements you've just spoken about and and just quoting from him, you know, and one of his things in his book says, what's spiritual leadership anyway? So he says that spiritual leadership involves intrinsically motivating and inspiring workers through a hope or a faith in a vision of service to key stakeholders and having an organizational or a corporate culture that's based on altruistic love. So this aspect is really values that are lived. And what he says through that is in an organization, the organization then has a calling. So there's a sense that it's here to make a difference, that working here has meaning and purpose. That's the kind of top level vision also the mind thing. And at the heart, which I love, he has a something about membership of this organization. What he means is that as members, as, as workers organization, we feel understood and we feel appreciated. He says, when you put the elements together, when you put when you have a vision which is grounded in hope and faith so hope and faith is something you can't often see but you know you have an inner feeling that it's there mm. so when you have a vision on that you have a calling you have you then have the values of love which you live out properly and it helps drive this membership aspect of feeling appreciated 
and understood. And the really interesting thing is, which excited me from my my um, my interfaith minister perspective, he says that the the basis of spiritual leadership is actually an inner life. Now he's purposely done this model so it's not a particularly specific religion or anything like that. Mm. But for him, inner life comes back to actually he says you know source of spiritual leadership is an inner life, and that can be, have a number of possibilities. It could be time in nature. It could be a religious practice. It could be meditation. It could be reading yoga. He said there's a source there that people draw upon. Mm. And I think in this COVID pandemic, we've seen people going out into nature and almost saying, thank goodness for nature and, and being resourced through there. So he's kind of saying there's something at the center of the spiritual leadership that, that really fuels us. And for yeah. me, it has a sense of clarity, of purpose, of meaning, of Again, coming back to this, this greater good. And I think people get that. People in business are starting to understand this is important. And we've seen here in the UK when executives have made decisions during COVID, which have been to the contrary of the community, quite often they've been quickly picked up on it because people said, this yeah. doesn't align with what we really want now in this moment in time. So at times, the mm. almost the older paradigm of the 20th century where we'll do this because it makes us a lot of money, is now actually, yes, money is still important. And Jody Fry's spiritual leadership will say, you need to have sustainable business. But at the same time, you need to say, is this sustainable business making a difference to our world, our planet, and, and how are you doing that? Yes, and whether it's sustainable in a, a macro context. Yes, um, yes definitely. And I, I, I think that's important. And that connection to a kind of a bigger, bigger ideal, a, a bigger... Um, thing than us that we're part of which also comes back to the the idea of membership i think the memberships at a couple of different levels there's obviously membership within an organization or a group um but there's that sense of connection yes. both within the organization but also something larger than that there is and there's something and and, and you'll have to correct me on, on the research but something about isn't it, about the generations whatever it is x y whatever mm. generation one now but i know my younger generation my two daughters they seem to have more of an innate sense of this importance around making a difference. And they tend to make, choose that, make their decisions more on that sort of thing than, than I, than perhaps yes. my generation would do. You know, I'm in my fifties now. So, um, so I think there's a sense as well. I think, I think something that's brought through that it also makes sense for the workers coming through of this age, because they want to connect with this sort of organization. Hmm. Yes, Workforce. and they, they want to feel part of something yeah. as well. I think most people want to feel part of something. And when people no longer feel part of something that's that's bigger, that's helping to kind of drive a sense of purpose, I think that's when things can start going wrong for them, both in terms of mental health, but also mm -hmm. their decisions and their actions that they, they kind of engage in. And I'm, I'm just kind of looking at the research on spiritual um, leadership, we're talking about a completely bigger body of work here. Um, overall, there's roughly about 34,000, 35,000 studies on spiritual leadership. Um, and Jody Fry, as you say, um, takes up, so if you look at the top 10 cited papers, takes up the six of those. Yeah. Um, and, and there's some really nice citation numbers. So the, the Towards the Theory of Spiritual Leadership that was published in 2003, yeah. which is a, a really interesting paper. Um, you know, there's um, three, three, almost three and a half thousand citations for that. So other studies have, have referenced that one, which is probably one of the, the premier 
um, papers on um, spiritual leadership. So we are talking about something that's that's growing in consciousness within the research arena, within organizations as well, um, and is becoming more important, I think, in people's lives, particularly in troubling times and times of change, because it acts as a kind of a grounding or an anchor for people. And just out of interest, I just wanted just to reiterate that a point that his spirit, he's got, you know, his spiritual leadership model, as I said, what I find fascinating about it is when you sit down and look at it, whether you have the faith or not, you can kind of map out your views across this model. Mm. So if this makes sense, one of my larger things when I read it, I suddenly got it that actually you can sit down a group of executives, whatever faith or not faith there may be, they can share from a heart about what this means to them at a deep level. And so not mm. come to a point where it blows across a religion, but actually saying this is what's important. It's almost like the golden rule. We can, we can agree that that's important. And he's done that. And one of the people that's with him, Ellie Eagle, she's actually written, done this paper on spiritual leadership as a model for Islamic leadership. Mm. So she's, she's, she's put across the Islamic faith onto this model and it works beautifully, you know, and it gives a great depth to those that, you know, uh, Islamic to follow. And you can do that. I think, I believe, or having done that, I believe you can do it for any faith or, or even if you kind of say nature is important to me, map that across this model. And, but there's, there's almost like a, there's a common language then, I think that's what one of his contributions that he helps people think about what is our, our vision, what's our meaning, what's our membership, what are our values, really cleverly. And he, and he integrates the business balance scorecard for those that, oh, I recognize mm. that, that's business. He says, yes, here where this is where it fits into the business balance scorecard. So he really grounds it. That's what I love about it because he brings it into live research and live things that are happening in the workplace and people go, Oh, didn't realize you do that. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the things about spiritual leadership, just engaging with it from a leader's point of view, is it really gets you to question what it is that you believe in. Mm. Um, and not just about your business, but wide in terms of wider terms. You know, what is it you believe in in terms of what you want this planet to be like, what you want society to be like? And, and, you know, do I have a part to play in that? Am I saying something about it? And am I doing something to help to move it into that? Or have I just completely disconnected what I'm doing to those values and beliefs that I have? And and certainly when I've been coming up with um, papers about spiritual leadership, um, having conversations about it, and, and certainly my own explorations on leadership, but but this idea of kind of purpose and what I believe in, it really does get you to question, you know, what am I believing in? And are those beliefs that I have, because we out the beliefs that we have and the values that we have, and this is an area that I've done quite a lot of um, reading around and, and research into, particularly the values side from an educational point of view and what education is, is that we quite often get into a situation where we have conflicting and paradoxical values and beliefs inside us. We don't like that, but we have them. And, and a lot of the research that I've been involved in to do with paradoxes, and that there's some really interesting studies around how humans deal with paradoxes, particularly internal paradoxes, is that we tend to ignore them. And then what we tend to do is polarize them. So we jump from one side of the paradox to the other without really being aware that that's what we're doing. 
so that we can take this paradoxical view over here to the left and then over to the right we can take this other paradoxical view without referring back to the other one and it's like we separate our brain and we can support this thing and this thing even though it's paradoxical without ever being aware that that's what we're doing and certainly the the spiritual leadership what it it certainly does is it gets you to start to examine what your beliefs and your values are and you start to notice these paradoxes and at that point you can be mindful of them it doesn't mean that you're going to remove them or resolve them even just allowing them to be and to be aware of them actually starts to change the way that you're engaging in them and and there's been one or two really interesting pieces of research around kind of para well it's starting mm. to become known as paradoxical leadership which is a little bit of an issue with but that's that's something else mm. but i think that's critically important for leaders yeah, so i think it's important for anybody but i think it's important for leaders there's two things i wanted to say on that so thank you it's really mm. wonderful i love that so two things i think it comes back to me again we've been speaking about self-awareness so i think that paradoxical he said when you notice that it brings it into self-awareness mm. And one thing I love saying, actually, it then brings into the into leadership this aspect of, and I believe it's a choice. So I always, I always say choosing to respond as opposed to choosing to react. Ooh, so react like tends to kick yeah. out. We do something because it's a heuristic, it's a way with the belief, behavior, just unconscious. When we choose to respond, that actually means actually we put a pause in. When we put a pause in, that gives us an opportunity to bring in other insights. So I think that, again, I come back to Oxford Review. I think that's what you're doing. You're quite often putting something in there and you're going, well, I'm not sure about that, but you pause mm. and you reflect on it where I'm in relation to this. <clears throat> and the second thing I wanted to say mm. was when you talk about this paradoxical leadership, what comes to my mind is the work of the quantum physicist, David Bohm, mm. who, brilliant quantum physicist, who was actually the spiritual advisor to the Dalai Lama. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was, yeah, spiritual advisor Dalai Lama. Because, <clears throat> and David Bohm <laughs> got very interested in the whole Buddhist mm. and spiritual side of things because you could see the quantum field and the spiritual field were speaking similar languages. But what I wanted to mention about David Bohm, and not many people know, there's a book that's been pulled together on his work, and it's called On Dialogue. Now, the reason this book On Dialogue is fascinating is that what David Bohm said is you can have conversations which are quantum. And what he meant by that is you bring people together with differing views and you set it up. So actually you say differing views, allow them to stay here and see what emerges. And I just think that's just golden. And he actually did this with groups he brought together over a longer period of time. So part of my interest would be, what would that be look like if we did that in business? Because quite often people have these beliefs We've got to sell it low. We've got to source it from here. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. What if all the views were brought to the table of the senior leaders and they said, actually, at this moment, we don't have an answer, but we want to follow this on dialogue because we understand something could emerge from this, which is actually when we bring all of this to the table, something emerges which we hadn't seen before. Mm. Absolutely. In fact, there's, there's some really interesting research. We did a briefing, must have been about three or four years ago now, um, that was looking at um, bringing people together in the Middle East around Israel, so the Palestinians and Israelis and, and groups of people around there, and whether it was possible to get them to work together, to get teams to work together that were coming from 
very polarized sets of beliefs. And, and it comes back to the thing that you were saying, which I really like about this idea of responding rather than reacting. And, and the question that kind of comes up from all of that research, and, and one of the things that came out of it was, and it, it's exactly in line with what you're saying here, is that just getting people to sit down and say, do I understand what this person is saying? And exploring that, giving people the, yeah. the tools and the time to explore that, actually started to move these people in quite deep ways together yeah. so that they were actually forming teams naturally where they were trusting each other and working together from a place when they walked in the door, they were almost hissing at each other. Yeah. And it was a, it was quite a profound experience, both for the facilitators, the researchers and the people involved. And, and, and I, I, I think you're right, you know, quite often, and we do this in academia as well, you know, if, if we write a paper and somebody disagrees with it, our immediate reaction is, hang on a minute, I've got to show why they're wrong, yeah. rather than sitting down and saying, do I really understand what they're saying here? And Absolutely. what the evidence base is. And and doesn't that, like that to me, that just kind of then touches into, into our humanity, mm. in the sense of bringing our whole self to the table. And I was going to mention, because she's quite important in this whole meaning aspect, there's a New Zealand academic called Marjo Lips-Wormer, who has set up a body of research around the map of meaning. And this research came out of her looking at reasons for why people change jobs. So what meaning will they have to go into new jobs? And she's written a great book, actually, with Lanny Morris called The Map of Meaning. Um, one of the interesting things she said to me um, or which spoke to me, she said, actually, I'm in the academic, she's a you know, professor, academic researcher. She said, one of the things I really struggled with is I wasn't allowed to bring my emotions into my papers. Or that was my perception. So she started doing this and challenging that aspect of, can I bring my whole self into my academic paper? So I absolutely adore and love her for, for, for doing that sort of work. And I see her as, I always kind of say that actually when I did my research, I do it, but you know, I stand on the shoulders of some of the giants who took a stand when it was very difficult to take a stand like that. Jody included, Marjo included, Judy Neal as well as wrote, wrote, wrote a book about Edgewalkers, um, which is now becoming more mainstream, but I want to honor them for actually taking that stand for saying, actually we can bring our emotions into research because it's important. Well, you can't actually separate them out and there's this idea of and and it's the same idea that we get in 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 business so a, a lot of the research that i've been involved in a lot of the work that i've been involved in is around emotion regulation um so my primary research is to do with uncertainty and one of the kind of big lessons if you want and one of the big takeaways fairly early on in the 2000s that we realized was that um an individual's emotional intelligence, um, but emotion regulation capability is critical to their ability to be able to deal with uncertainty, to be able to sit with it, look for the emergent properties and things like that. So when I was doing my, my master's research and doctoral research many years ago, one of the big things that was starting to come out largely because one or, one or two of the tutors was the idea of reflexivity about thinking about the impact of the way that I'm thinking, the kind of models that I'm doing, but also how I'm emotionally reacting to this mm. situation, to this piece of research, these people, and what impact that's having. Now, 
move that forward years, one of the interesting things that I kind of come across with people in organizations, um, um, particularly in management and leadership positions, is this idea that they want to make objective decisions. Now, when you start to explore what they mean by objective, what they're saying is they want to remove the emotion. And I say, well, okay, you need a computer for that because you can't remove emotion from humans. Mm -hmm. And in fact, from the research that I've been involved in on the side of, and I know of um, with colleagues, is that I'm pretty, you know, there isn't a lot I would say with much certainty, but virtually every, well, I would say every decision we make, and like, I'm not one given to say every for anything really, but every decision we make is an emotional decision first, regardless oh, of that, how you think. That was the book, and you'll have to, you probably know it better mm. than I do. Was that book like the seven thinking, seven hats or something? What That's right, called? seven thinking hats, yeah. Seven thinking hats, and I, I can't remember the author, but I do remember his outcome, and that was actually, you can go mm. through all of these processes, mm. but when you come to the important decisions, it's always whatever it was, it might have been the red hat, but it was the emotional hat that makes the, that takes the call on the decisions. That's right, yes, yeah. So, and we start out, in fact, there's some really good research um, that's coming out of some of the fMRI studies and MRI studies. Showing that, showing that the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of our decisions are, are starting in more of the emotional areas of the brain. And then the cognitive side starts to click in. And, and there's a kind of a very strong theory at the moment that um, we make a decision and then we rationalize it. Mm -hmm. So we start to fit it into all of our uh, schemas, our mental models to make it make sense. But the decision originated in more of a, a, a an emotional side. Now, that's not for every decision because there are more routine decisions and things. But a lot of the complex decisions we make, certainly there's good evidence that they start in um, a, a more um, emotion connected place. We well, we know, don't we know through the work of heart math that you know, there's, there's a brain connected mm. in the heart and there's now research yes. saying actually there's a brain in the gut as well, which would support. That's right. Yeah, we've got neurons, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the other thing, so for, just from this, this idea of objectivity. So during a, a lot of the research that I was doing in the, in, in the 90s um, and early 2000s, so through um, TFIL and things like that, we were, I was engaged in looking at this idea of objectivity and it's kind of what I came down to was that objectivity is learning. You are objective if you're there to openly learn whatever the data is telling you, then you're more objective. It's not about removing the emotions. It's about saying, right, okay, what is the evidence actually telling us what we're particularly really not very good at is doing that being really open to whatever this is saying because we work for being conscious of the yeah the paradigms you're bringing to the table as you're doing this research because as you just yeah. said i will do i will have this conscious bias towards looking mm -hmm. for things perhaps a spiritual or whatever it is i will bring that to the table so if i can be conscious for that and this is where it's if so, i can then bring other people to the table this is where i think it supports because they can then challenge me say yes yeah but have you thought of this i'm looking at it from this perspective and when i can go tell me more as opposed to defend mm. i think this is when the door opens for us to then to be able to actually not just deepen the research but actually come to a richer outcome together 
definitely. And it's kind of a lifelong journey for all of us anyway, is to mm. work out how we're thinking, how that's affecting how we're, what we're doing, yeah. what are we feeling, how that's affecting yeah. it. Yeah. And, and once you put two people together, that becomes infinitely more complex because those levels of, of mm. conscious awareness, of reflexivity vary people are in different kind of places on that journey some aren't even on the journey they're not mm. they don't have that kind of level of metacognition or they're not thinking about it they're just reacting or whatever the moment you've got a boardroom then things get really complex and and it's kind of unpicking that but if people are on the journey at least and they're here to learn then i think then we're kind and of moving it can move and change things because one book i mm. picked up this week i haven't bought it but i saw it and went what a great book to take into a boardroom is there's two people from side business school obviously with you in oxford oh, yeah. there, gary hoskins well as that jury oh yeah they've just mm. released a book called kindness in leadership a research mm. book now isn't that wonderful to say mm. <laughs> because that for me can go against this sense of you know, we've got to deliver we've got to be harsh we've got to make sure it's all about the results and they're suddenly then researching and saying the impact of kindness in leadership it's suddenly like for me it's almost an aspect where you take a breath as a leader and go kind okay well how how's this what does this mean what's happening here mm. or you know how am i responding as opposed to reacting to this so it's mm. there's some fascinating research that's coming through which we've spoken before can really support i think business yeah interestingly what i see that there's a there's an interesting kind of schism happens in in some areas of business so in in some sectors um financial services is is one where the where this can happen doesn't always happen um where there's this kind of disconnect of you know the only thing that matters is the outcome mm -hmm. yeah. you know you just churn through it mm -hmm. and if there are bodies then so be it. Whereas if you go to somewhere where you'd think that that would be the case, the military, which is my background, and the police, which is also my background, what you find is that the senior officers are all schooled and educated. The first thing you do is you look after your people. Mm. And the, because it's the people who are doing the work. And yeah. Yeah. if you're not looking after them, and that's not just looking after them in terms of feeding them and making sure they've got the right equipment and the right tools, it's also making sure that they're mentally fit as well, that they're mentally well, that they're able to mm. go out and do what it is that they need to do with the right positive mindset. Mm. And I, it's, it's weird because in the places where you wouldn't expect to see this kind of thing, you see a lot more of it. And in the places where you'd think maybe there'd be a little bit more reflection going on. And, and it's just, you know, and I, th I think there's a lot of work to be done mm. here. <laughs> so um, can I just, just because I could talk about this stuff all day with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what, what the research that you did um, at Durham, what yeah. was that and, and what was you finding? That was me actually having a look at um, Jodie Fry's model really of spiritual leadership and, and exploring that as to, you know, what difference does this really make in, 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 in the workplace? Um, and so for me, there were things, there were things which, which, um, which I looked at, um, was you know what difference perhaps does gender make to spiritual leadership is it different if you're male mm. or female and one of my threads of what i've been working with is and i speak from a you know a straight 
white male privileged position really is a thread for me in there that kind of says actually when we're talking about leadership i bring a deck which is loaded in my favor in the current mm. climate so the conscious leadership for me when i was looking at that was what does that then really mean in practice how can i if i'm saying i'm talking about conscious leadership or spiritual leadership what does that then put on me as a white you know privileged male i should say to be more conscious around actually how do i become more collaborative more inclusive um, mm. which is which is something that that touched me deeply something that i hadn't realized because i just taken things for granted which i guess mm. a lot of white male leaders do and just think well it's just the same for everyone else and it was a wake-up call for me to realize it, it wasn't and i think also from the research as well it really got me thinking about how often have i been in organizations i've been some big ones where we've had values but as brenny brown said the values have been like cat posters and what she means is they're up on the wall they look cute but they mean nothing in practice so what i've been looking at and it linked in fully enough to my mass uh, to my research and my um warwick business school mba because my research there was all about understanding the links how do you link things together so what I looked mm. at with spiritual leadership and why I was fascinated with Jody's model is it's not, you don't look at them in isolation. So if my values are here, how do my values link into my vision? If we're looking at aspects of membership and we've got values, how are people being understood and appreciated in mm. reality, not just in, in a theoretical thing? What does it mean? And if it is about, you know, hope and faith and having this, this uh, driving force, what does that look like with two feet on the ground? Because I think my research, like Andre Delbeck, it's very much about two feet on the ground. Mm. How does it make a difference to, to the individuals and the well-being? And how do they act together as a community, which they not only enjoy being there, but they know they're making a difference. So I think that's what my research kind of brought those threads together, if that makes sense. And that yeah. for me is one of the beauties of this of research is that you suddenly see actually, you know what, there's, there's a grounded aspect. This is, you just said beautifully, I'm open to moving in different directions, but but actually to stand with this groundness and be able to say to people, well, we can explore this element and this might fit together like this. Let's explore it together. I found that to be very powerful in business because people quite often then are up for that conversation because I'm not telling them what to do. So I'm like, let's go on a journey with this because I think this is, and that's what I think the best research does. It kind of says, let's go on a journey with this and see what mm. we can find. Yes, yeah. So from all of the reading that you've done and the research mm. that you've done, around conscious and spiritual leadership you know it, for for people who are listening say leaders or people in organizations managers things like that if there were a, two or three takeaways from your perspective what would they be um i think it's what we've been, what we've been talking about it's this aspect of you know we go back again to the and asking themselves you know how how conscious or how self-aware am i of how i'm showing up at work and how am I taking care of others? How am I thinking in respect of others? This is this emotional intelligence aspect. I think and the altruism. The altruism. This aspect of also just questioning, actually, I'm doing this job, but what difference does it really make out in the world? What difference am I making? And also, this work that I'm doing, is it aligned with really my deepest longings, my desires? What do I truly want to see birthing? What am I passionate about? Am I waiting until I retire and then I'm doing the thing that I really want to do? So I kind of would not challenge, I would just gently say, 
don't wait why, why not do it now so you know it might mean because people said david if you're doing this sort of work does it mean that people might leave and go to another organization or set up their own and my response is do you know what if someone isn't quite aligned with that organization isn't it better that actually they move somewhere where they are so someone who is more aligned can actually move into their position that for mm. me seems to be a win-win all round for the organization and the individuals involved so it would be really looking at those elements for them and as well as actually just engage with some of the there's some great reading we know youtube there's so much i think there's such a depth of resources out there for mm -hmm. people to explore um so I, I would you know encourage people i think i know uh, <laughs> this might be my bias coming in it is i'll own it you know that book i mentioned <laughs> maximizing the triple bottom line through spiritual leadership <clears throat> is a great lead great read i should say and i was going to say for those that are listening and i'm sure there are for those that that are set, that are perhaps what i call deep divers in this area i've had permission there's someone who i know one of my mentors who's um dr lynn sedgmore she did a phd but it's such a readable phd and i know lynn well and and she's just excellent but the title of her phd is <clears throat> fostering innovative organizational cultures and high performance through explicit spiritual leadership now her organization was a center of excellence in leadership and jody fry wrote a book called spiritual leadership in action which was called the cell central excellence and leadership story so that's a great book but what she said to me is that through well, through me through ease if people want a copy of her phd that they're you know we'll put my details below they're welcome to email me and i can forward it on to them the reason why i think her phd is important is we speak about research being advanced those in the area of spiritual leadership have said her phd is probably 10 or 20 years ahead of the curve and i personally do believe it is so because she links her own personal spiritual journey to spiritual leadership in the workplace so it's almost like not quite a monastic in the workplace but for her, she had spiritual growth in the workplace through, through her own journey as a leader. And she actually puts that down in evidence. And it's absolutely fascinating. I do firmly believe that, that she's highlighted one of the areas that will come out of further spiritual leadership research. But if someone is like, I really want something that's cutting edge to see where mm -hmm. we may be going, I just can't recommend that, that, that PhD research highly enough. Well, I definitely want to read that now. I haven't seen it. And, um, and from the description you've got, I think um, I might be contacting Lynn and uh, seeing if we can do a briefing on it. Um, really interesting, really interesting. So um, you, you're now a consultant. Yeah. And you do work in organisations around these topics, conscious leadership, spiritual leadership. Um, what kinds of things do you do for organisations then? As I said, it's really, a, um, I work either one-to-one -one with execs, I work with uh, leadership groups. Um, and it really is for those groups that I call myself a bridge for, for conscious leadership. But it's for those organizations that really want to understand how these things fit together, what we've been speaking about. You know, how can I really get this company motoring for the sense that, that you know, I've been saying, you know, our vision and our mission and our values and the way we actually treat our employees are really aligned so actually we're not just having a, a great sustainable profitable organization but we're making a real difference in the world 
and what I found through my work, there's always a well-being aspect that comes in that's unforeseen, where people are actually kind of saying, gosh, actually, that's made a real difference. And just one example of that was one exec I worked with. And this is an important point, I think, that when I did work with him, I got to know him well, and he invited me back home. Uh, and his wife had cooked this wonderful meal. And, and she, as we sat down, she turned to me and she said, thank you, David, for giving me my husband back and so much more. Wow. So if that makes sense of the sense, oh, you know, yes. actually, it, it's, it's a beautiful, that's only way I can describe it. It's that's a beautiful amazing. piece of work. And what mm. I do is I don't come in with an answer. I actually look to see what have you got so far? Because all organizations have got some things that are working mm. well. So I look to keep those. And I don't come in and say, okay, move everything to one side. I've got the answer. It's no, I've got a big bag of tools here. Whatever really resonates with you, let's bring that in because that then helps it be sustainable. Because I've been in big organizations where consultants come in, they bring in the latest trend. Six months later, we're throwing it out because we don't understand it. Mm. So I'm like, my job is done when you own it and, and I can just quietly exit because it's yours. It's not mine. Mm. Brilliant. So back to Brilliant. that, you know, that, that's that outsider on the inside, you know, someone who's there to really help them build and develop mm. and grow an organization that's going to make a real difference in the world. And quite often the question I ask is, what's the legacy you're looking to leave to the world through this organization? So there's normally intakes of breath around that, but that's a real great, <laughs> almost heuristic question, which we work with. Mm. So for those who are really looking to say, that sounds great, I really want to do this. And someone that will, people say to me, David, you hold a space where actually really honor others. You don't come in and say it's right or wrong, but you honor what's there and, and you really help us move forward. So if people are interested, that's the sort of work I do. And I was going to say, I'm shortly doing some masterclasses on conscious leadership. And what I'm doing them for, I'm doing them one for coaches. I'm doing one for consultants. Uh, who are working, you know, as we said at the top of the program, whether they're doing servant leadership, translation, transformational, these, these matter classes would be useful for them. And then if there's execs out there, they might say, I'm interested in the one-to-one because -one I do a lot of mentoring. Well, they say, actually, I lead a lot of leadership groups. I'll come along to the one on consultants because that's more about leadership groups. So mm. the reason I'm doing those is just, as you're doing, Oxford, you're just trying to get the information out there a bit wider so people can see what's available because as we've spoken today there's such a rich rich seam of research and of, of practical examples of organizations that have done this sort of thing that they can draw upon mm. so that's what I, we'll, we'll, I think we share a similar passion today. let's let's really get this out there in a sense of being evangelistic about making a difference but it's people owning that difference which which in, in itself is a difference isn't it it's like what are you interested in all right let's really help you on that Yes, and, and to be able to think about what it is that we are doing and being in a place where we think I'm going to leave a legacy. Yeah. And and I think that's important. And we'll put links to David's um, uh, masterclasses, uh, his website and everything else in the in the show notes on on the um, on the blog page for the for this podcast. Um, so um, thank you very much. Where, where and how can people find you, David? Um, it's, uh, it's David Wetton, and uh, it's Wetton is W-E-T-T-O-N, so you can look me up on LinkedIn. You should be able mm -hmm. to find me there on, on LinkedIn. Um, or you can email me at uh, david at davidwetton.com. 
brilliant and we'll put those links in the show notes as well thank you so much david this has been a, a revelation <laughs> and a, you know fascinating area but more than fascinating kind of deeply touching area as well um that i think more and more leadership leaders and leadership programs should really be looking at and i, th I think too many people shy away from the idea of even looking at spiritual leadership um and and I, I think it's got an awful lot to offer uh, as i say the the research numbers actually bear that out um, there's a lot of research activity going on in this area and um from a practitioner's point of view it's certainly having quite an impact on on people and their lives uh, and and for, for those reasons alone uh, you know it's well worth looking at um we've got some research briefings around it there's going to be a lot more um and in fact as we're talking i'm thinking we're going to do a special report on uh, on spiritual leadership and the, and the connections and um maybe we can do it together mm, be wonderful thank you fancy that brilliant thank you very much david i really appreciate that i've really enjoyed it <laughs> that's wonderful thank you for having me on i really appreciate that uh, it's an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure <laughs>